0: engagement can mean a lot of different things
1: there's an expense associated to you know consume live sports and so they really want to take a holistic approach to it to say okay how can we create this one-of-a-kind experience that you can't you can't you can't get in your man table or in your basement or at home
0: that's james gilio ceo of mvp interactive the in-stadium experience it's changing this is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Graham Weinstein. Once inside, teams and leagues have learned and are learning about what you really want out of game day experiences. But what about just getting in? Brett Goldberg is trying to disrupt the secondary ticket market with his company TickPick. They're trying to win you over by saving you money in those pesky fees. Home or at the game, an eye on fantasy has become commonplace, and Noah Sykin from IBM is helping usher in the latest innovations in gaming. But first, the future is now, with something actually happening on a field of play, or in this case, a sheet of ice. The way we watch hockey is about to change, as player tracking should bring a wealth of data options to broadcasters. Pluto Shinzawa from The Athletic joins us now. So what kind of alterations are you expecting us to see?
2: Well, it's pretty much a blank canvas right now, Bram. Uh, the, the data is coming in, and it's going to be up to the league and to the networks, to all the, the partners involved in the typical NHL broadcast to kind of pick and choose what they want. Um, there, could, It could be as simple as how fast a player is skating. Uh, how fast a shot is traveling, uh, how many miles a player has skated during a period. Um, it's it's really going to be up to uh, all the parties involved to see what will make sense to our consumer because the NHL, like every other league and every other sport, is dealing with the issue of the, the audience. How do you engage your consumer, especially the younger ones, when you have such... Uh, options when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to media, when it comes to uh, everything that your phone is giving you. Uh, there's a lot uh, that the league has to to gain in terms of being as attractive as possible on television and the way the product has been. It's been pretty static for a long time. I think it's a good time for this data to come through.
0: You know, it's interesting. They had one of the really famous flops of a technological advance in broadcasting by putting a streak on the puck, and this was a long time ago, but I I wonder if they are gun-shy about adding elements to broadcast because of the backlash from things that happened in the past.
2: Yes, uh, I I think that's a a significant concern, especially just given that hockey, let's face it, uh, compared to the other sports, it's a niche sport compared to the football and basketball, college football, baseball, whatever. Um, so, we, when you have an niche sport like that, you have an entrenched customer base, and let's look at your typical 40 or 50 or 60 year old hockey consumer, and they see a glowing puck on TV, or they see weird graphics and, and videos and holograms. That's, uh, that's not what they want. They want, they're pretty much, Satisfied with the product the way it is. It's your score. It's how much time is left. So maybe the the name of the player and some statistics. Otherwise, your your typical entrenched hockey consumer likes the way the broadcast is. But as we know, that might not be good enough for. Geez, the ten year old right now who might grow up and and might like hockey and might grow into a consumer, but has Fortnite and has Minecraft and has. Uh, basketball and and everything on his or her phone that's available so it's it's really how do you strike that balance between trying to keep your your uh, your current customer base engaged and satisfied while bringing in new customers
0: all right so let's talk about those enhancements um this is a fast-moving sport it's it's not like racing you know where the cars are going you don't know where the puck is going to go at any moment so how do they intend to incorporate enhancements and not hurt the watchability of the product
2: yeah, that's it's a real balance. Maybe, they, maybe it's, uh, I've heard some talk about some second screen. Uh, let's keep the the primary television screen as Spartan as possible in terms of the score and how much time is left, and then maybe the second screen—your phone, your tablet, your computer—something that's synced to the game is where the data is presented. Uh, that that's one solution. Uh, maybe, uh, during replays, uh, maybe during intermissions, maybe those are the, the pockets, at least the start where, where the, the league and its network broadcast partners will be looking to incorporate some of this data and some of these graphics and video and whatever, that perhaps that's a safe space, uh, if you will, to not, uh, take away from the game. Um, and look at those intermissions. Look at the replays. Oh, here's here's a, a different angle from where this goal was scored. Or, or if you look back on this goal, this is how fast uh, the puck was traveling. Or this is the uh, the angle at which the pass arrived that was able to open up the player for to take the one timer. So I, I think they'll be judicious um, at first in terms of replays and intermissions and, and maybe the second screen like we talked about. Because uh, if you take a significant step at first, that's. I think a lot of people will be will be a little bit put off by that.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm with you on all of the enhancements and the attempt to bridge the gap between the new consumer and the younger audiences and what they expect when they when they consume content. Um, this also does have a feel of um, an invitation to gambling. Is that some of sure. this too? Yeah.
2: Oh well, well I, I, maybe there's there's a, a bridge. Uh, I, I think. Um, well, let's say your your ten year old is not ready to to be consuming, and, and maybe you want to bridge up to that. I think the gambling is absolutely a part of, of, of getting to that to that point. So, uh, yeah, the the I think the the league and the teams are, are hoping the, the faster the better when it comes to approval, um, and in whatever form it is, whether it's in person, on your phone, at the rink, uh, w- whatever it is, yeah, absolutely. Um, th- that's a, that's a way to keep the live. Sports consumer engaged, or, or the audience uh, that, that is is invested in the gambling side, and yes, um, and maybe maybe there's some data out there that will help the the gambler become more focused and more accurate in whatever kinds of of that's uh, and investments that they're making.
0: I'll let you go with this. Um, it, it, the eye catching part of the headline was you you described one of the innovations as a comparison to a car crash. So we'll let you go on that. What what does that mean?
2: Well, let's say, okay, we have we have all the weights of these players already. That's known. So you have a 220 pound player um, accelerating at whatever speed and he gets checked by a 230 pound player. Uh, That's that's enough data in terms of, of mass acceleration. Uh, to come up with something that it's, a, it's equivalent to what kind of data you get in a car crash, um, and this is this is repeatedly 82 games a year, and then if you go into the, the playoffs, that's another two months of of wear and tear, and I I think. Hockey fans understand that this is a physical, demanding, uh, grueling sport. But then to put it in that kind of perspective, I think would be fascinating. Just for uh, your typical consumer who, who who is engaged with hockey but doesn't know just how um, physical it is to say, "Whoa, this this player just came away from uh, a fender bender or something like that." Mm. Uh, I, I think would be fascinating, and would be just another way to tell the story of how brutal the sport can be.
0: Fluto Shinzawa from The Athletic. Thank you. You got it. Up next, fantasy and reality, both eyeing modernization. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is James Gillio, the CEO and founder of MVP Interactive, a consumer engagement technology brand, and that means a lot. Hey, James, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, what does MVP Interactive do?
1: Well, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we create really immersive consumer engagement um, experiences uh, for our professional sports teams, brands, and augmented reality. Gesture based gameplay and facial recognition to uh, to create that that engagement piece.
0: So this is in stadium, correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah, so we we really have two verticals of our business development or how we deploy and um, one being uh, sports properties or entertainment venues we feel that the the concourse is really the arteries of the uh, the heart of the game day, right? and so um, we leverage um, Stadium's philosophies of uh, opening up early and staying open late to create these full day experiences. And so we really leverage our technology uh, to do that on concourse. Uh, The second avenue of um, deployment is really working with uh, large advertising agencies and brands to create fan experiences at 10 pole marketing events, just to range anything from the NFL draft to all-star weekend, things of that nature. Uh, essentially, where there's any gathering of uh, individuals uh, consuming in an event, uh, brands really lean on us to to create these really cool, memorable experiences through technology. All
0: right, so let's go back to the games for a moment, the, the virtual reality games that you guys are creating. Can you give us some examples of what you're doing?
1: Sure. Um, well, for example, with the Washington Redskins, we give fans a, a unique opportunity to, to really experience uh, from a point of view uh, standpoint: what it's like to be a player during game day. So that's coming off the bus, walking into the locker room, suiting up, and then walking out of the tunnel uh, onto the field during game day. So uh, what we do is uh, we've attached, not only did we produce and film all of the 360 content, but uh, we integrated a VR headset into a, an official Washington Redskins helmet so fans can strap on the helmet, start the experience, and, and really be immersed to um, to really have access to to a part of the stadium and to a part of something that they couldn't normally do as a fan, and that's really to be a player. Uh, So that's one example. Uh, Another example is, um, you know, with the Minnesota Vikings, we were able to pair two technologies together, uh, one being virtual reality where uh, you're essentially a wide receiver and you get to run a route uh, virtually inside the stadium there and then catch a touchdown pass. And the way that you're able to catch that pass is – uh through gesture. So your body is the remote control so to speak. So with the three D camera we're we're able to track the user's movements on uh, the accuracy on how they catch or not catch the ball and uh you know you can score a touchdown there. So that's a pretty cool experience that um, that lives in the Viking voyage section of uh US Bank Stadium.
0: I can't do the Stefan Diggs one though, right? That that's the one that I can't actually have the Vikings moment. <laughs> no
1: <laughs> I think that's exclusive to him. That will we'll be here. Yeah. To recreate
0: it, but that was, yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one to recreate. Um, all right. So, tell me about getting fans clearly back to the stadium. Uh, all the teams are trying to lure them back in. That the game is not necessarily just enough for all of it. So, can you talk about what their goals are when they work with you to try to make the experience enhanced for fans that come to games?
1: Sure. I, I think the the primary feature is to really. Um, what we're starting to see is the trend in the team understanding and how challenging it is to, you know, have a family come out. um, There's an expense associated to, you know, consume live sports. And so they really want to take a holistic approach to it to say, okay, how can we create this one of a kind experience that you can't, you can't, you can't get in your man cave or in your basement or at home. Right. And and that's something that um, a lot of properties are, are, are fighting with. And, um, as we know in December and it's negative degrees outside, you know, it's very challenging to leave the house. And so I think, you know, what are integrating with their uh, brand partnerships or their sponsors to say, Hey, you know, how can we leverage these engaging pieces of, um, uh, technology to, to create one of a kind experiences for the fan? And so, you know, it's not only the tailgating experience it's brought into the concourse experience as well as, you know, other digital touch points. And, and so, whether that's, you know, jumbotron um, activations or engagements that, you know, you, you can only get attending the, the stadium, you know, really this exclusive feel, um, whether that's loyalty programs and, you know, merchandising or even down to the concessions and, and, and what that is like to, to purchase food at a stadium and, and how um, you know, teams can avoid or fans can avoid pain points on waiting in line. And and so I think leaning towards the fan and and really taking a personalized approach to attend a sports game. And and it's not just about selling the ticket and um, you viewing the game any longer. It's almost creating this full day experience, open early, stay open late, and um, really justify an ROI on that experience on attending a game.
0: You had mentioned two stadiums that are that are really from different eras, FedEx Field in Washington, which will be replaced in the next <laughs> decade or so, but was built in the early 1990s, and it is a standard concrete slab that um, you have yeah. to enhance. And then you mentioned Minnesota's, which is basically brand new and much more technologically fo- forward. Um, as you Absolutely. look at stadiums that are being built now, are you talking to them about – the things they need to have in terms of infrastructure to have the abilities that you're talking about.
1: I think that's a great point that you had uh, brought up because, you know, one of our main talking points and and what we truly believe in as a company and, and, and what properties should be doing is really um, creating these destination points inside the stadium. So it, we can leverage technology uh, to do that. And it doesn't really matter about the brick-and-mortar in what the building was constructed of right you know and that's a perfect example of your reference of fedex field versus us bank right and so um i think when when we speak to teams that are you know maybe under construction or planning it's you know how can you really holistically think about creating these destination points these touch points throughout the stadium and you know making sure that the infrastructure is in place and so at the end of the day i mean these, these stadiums are really being future-proof built and, you know, whether it's the advent of 5G or some of the IT components and in, in, in how they're um, using advanced technologies, that's already being done. So they're taking care of a lot of the hard part where, you know, our value add is being able to sort of really work within any shell, any structure um, to integrate some of these experience because, you know, at the end of the day, they don't have to be um, massive build-outs, they can be temporary in nature, um, they can be moved around uh, the facility, um, but yeah, that's, re- that's really our, our main talking point is to you know, how you can have all different touch points factors, your fan, right? and factors, each of your fans, right? And whether that's a child, whether it's a parent, male, female, so on and so forth, and it's kind of really, um, you know, leverage technology that speaks to everyone.
0: Let's talk about 5G for a moment, you mentioned it. It will change what you do how.
1: I think the speed of connectivity um, and the way that we can communicate our engagement to each other. So for example, um, we'll say the Staples Center could be running some type of interactive experience that is networked to that same experience that's happening in Madison Square Garden. You know, the idea of having that transcontinental connectivity within nanoseconds is really compelling. Um, I think even on the mobile side, where we talk about reality experiences where um, you know, we don't have to worry about any lag in speed and where things are immediate, um, download speed, things of that nature, I think is uh, really promising and really exciting to think about what the future holds.
0: So let's go back to the idea of the, the modern stadium. Um, what are the aspects of the modern stadium? Baseball, football, even basketball or hockey, for that matter, indoor arenas. What are the aspects of the modern stadium that we're going to see in the next 2, five, ten years?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're going to see a lot of cashless payments. I, I think there's going to be more integration into, um, you know, some of the real loyal fans may not like to hear this, but it's a ticketless um, system. You know, at the entry point, and so everything is moving digitally um, in how you uh, engage with the stadium itself. I, I think there's going to be, um, you know, leveraging technology and, and mobile apps to to use your phone as the, uh, the the credit card, essentially, right? And and so being able to navigate um, your general consumption um, standpoints is is changing uh, ingress, egress. You know, RFID technologies, NFC, mobile apps, things of that nature. And I think then, you know, once you're inside Stadium, there's going to be um, other ways to consume the sport itself, right? And and so I think if you think about, you know, these luxury suites, there's going to be levels of AI and AR maybe integrated into some of the viewing glass that, you know, can do real-time statistics on a second display while you're watching the game. I think from a fan experience standpoint, you're already seeing the trends in, in where um, 3D mapping, digital projections are creating... Uh, an altered experience on the ice or on the court and so you're giving fans in the seats a really immersive experience. I think um, you know being able to do live feed virtual reality experiences or 360 video or you know maybe cutting to a different um, element of the game maybe it, it is in the locker room pre-game, post game where um, you could don a headset and and have a live stream access to that and and that carries over to even outside of the stadium right I think the nBA is, is certainly on the forefront of being able to, you know, being able to, to provide 180 streaming services to a, to a headset at your home. And so, um, you know, and I think concessions, uh, you know, fall in line to, you know, how, um, how we are going to be able to kind of seamlessly integrate uh, as an individual and the point of sale is going to change, um, you know, quick shop or quick, quick service um, checkpoints, uh, things of that nature. Uh, even on the retail side, you know, I think there's going to be an element of moving technology in apparel. It's not only track behaviors internally of, of the fans, but then also from a st- statistics standpoint on players and, um, you know, keeping live stats during the game um, and having that access and that information at the uh, at the hands of your fingertips. There.
0: So you talk to the teams, they tell you what they'd like to create. You help them create these experiences. Um, what are the fans saying they want? What are they? What's their feedback to you? Uh,
1: you know, that's that's a great um, actually, that's a great question. I think by and large, it's not necessarily one technology over the other. I think it's about you know the ease of use and you know the cost of participation. Right. Everything that we do, we like to think is pretty cool and fans really like and, and and love. But it's you know the strategy and how it's deployed. Right. So we can have a VR. Um, a VR example uh for fans but if you know the team is charging 25 dollars a person to participate you know that's going to cause a little bit of friction and so that's where properties are are leaning on on sponsors to help underwrite those programs so fans can have access to all of this stuff and they they want to touch and feel and explore it's much more like a, a theme park or an amusement park um experience where um we haven't heard necessarily You know, we want one technology over the other. I think as a technology company, we are on the forefront of being able to keep pace with all of the emerging technologies. But um, I think it's really the execution piece on how accessible it is to the fans. Um,
0: I'll let you go with this because it sounds like you are in a rush (laughs) to get off of this train. So I'll let you go with this. Um, I, I would assume, that in the end, the team still wants the focus to be what's happening on that field of play, whichever surface it may be. So so how do they get that balance with, we're giving the fan these experiences that they want to come stay, it's more than just the game, and yet the focus of it still is what's happening in front of them.
1: That's right, and, and I, I think you nailed it, because uh, I think what properties are now understanding is, sometimes they really can't have control on the success or failures of the team, right? You know, things happen, and you know, that's the, that's the great nature of sports, and um, it, it's the best live platform on Earth. And so I think when they think about, you know, those variables to say, okay, let's create the experience. We're going to give the fans an amazing, memorable experience throughout, you know, the whole game time. But during, you know, the time that there's butts and seats, so to speak, you know, we're going to um, make sure that every break time uh, there's integrated with uh, music, maybe projection mapping, uh, live entertainment pieces, I think the Golden Knights are probably one of the best of class um, teams that do that where, you know, there's really no downtime. So if it's an intermission, if it's a penalty, if it's, um, you know, a scoring play, you know, there's, there's going to be equal, if not more, enthusiasm throughout the, the entire experience.
0: James Giglio is the CEO and founder of MVP Interactive and is literally on the fast track to the future. Thank you for joining us, James.
1: (laughs) Well done, thank you so much
3: for having me.
0: The game day experience involves following everyone in sports, we all know this, whether it be via gambling or fantasy sports, and that's where IBM is trying to change the game. So gaming is changing at a rapid pace, whether it's what's become traditional, fantasy sports, or gambling, and everybody is modernizing. Noah Sykin is the Vice President of Sports and Entertainment Partnerships at IBM, and Watson is being integrated at the Worldwide Leader these days in their fantasy games. Hi, Noah. How are you?
4: Good, Bram. Nice to be here with you.
0: Uh, Could you kind of give us some background on on what you do?
4: Sure. So uh, our team leads our sports uh, technology integrations with great um, sporting events around the world, like Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, or in this case, uh, fantasy football with ESPN.
0: So what is the partnership like? How does it work?
4: yeah so we we have a very collaborative partnership, and we think about how can we apply new technologies uh, in the world of sports every single day, and ESPN's a great partner. And so um fantasy sports is a huge activity that millions of people are playing, you know every single week, fifty two weeks a year. Uh, and so we thought about how we can enrich that experience for users, how we can give them more insight, better access to information, and really put you know better tools and uh, capabilities in their hands to as you just said, uh, ensure that ESPN may, is, uh, continues to be the worldwide leader in sports.
0: All right, so, so help us out here a little bit. I've been playing fantasy sports for a quarter century, whether it's a season-long yep. league with my friends or Daily Fantasy Now and all the different games and options that are out there. What does the modern fantasy user want?
4: Yeah, well, I think they want access to information. And so, you know, every single day, Watson goes out and reads Tons and tons of information about all the players, all the injuries, all the scouting reports from the camps every single week. You know more information than any person could reasonably consume every single night, and so that's the information that fantasy players want. They want to understand how that player is performing. You know in camp, did they practice? Uh, you know is Sam Darnold coming back from his you know month long um, you know his month long layover, and so. We really think about how we get all of that information, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 sources of information every single day you know, into the hands of users uh, of the ESPN Fantasy Football app. And we want to help them make a better decision about who they're going to sit, who they're going to start. Um, and some of this was born out of you know, my own experiences as well. I've played this for 20 years as well. Um, So uh, I think everybody needs better insight and better information. That's what we focus on.
0: Sam Darnold really appreciates you classifying it as a layover. That is (laughs) very, (laughs) very happy that that's the word you're going to use for why he uh, hasn't been available to fantasy players or the Jets, for that matter, over the last month. (laughs) Um, So are you guys trying to alter how the games are literally played, or are you more on the side of we're going to provide better information for the players?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, right now we are providing better information, but who knows where the capabilities will go. You know, we're working on a couple of future-looking projects that um, may transform how transactions, you know, are are done uh, in fantasy football. But for now, you know, it's really about arming people with better information and helping them decide, look, you know, I've had those experiences where I've had two running backs, right, and I have to decide who I'm going to start this week, and they're both projected to score 20 points, Right, But you know that one of them has a higher probability of scoring uh, more than 20 points, and the other one has a higher probability of scoring less than 20 points. Until this capability came online for ESPN – Players didn't really have that kind of capability, so we help them understand who might boom this week, who might bust this week, and what the probabilities are of each of those happening.
0: You uh, know? Can, can you be specific on that? Like, how do you come to a determination like that? Because, I, listen, I've run into that a million times. It happened a week ago, where I had two or three guys at a choice to make, and I'm guessing at that I'm guessing.
4: Yeah, well, so I I certainly can't, uh, I can't go into how the code was written. That's not necessarily my expertise. But, um, but every single week, you know, uh, if you look at a player card in the ESPN fantasy football app and you happen to look at, you know, that particular running back, you're going to see a probability curve. You know, what's the probability they're going to score two points, they're going to score 20 points, and what's the sweet spot in that curve? But you're going to also understand they have, you know, a 25% chance of overachieving that sweet spot again let's just use 20 points as an example now let's say i'm playing a very competitive team in my particular league and i know that they're going to put up a lot of points i might want to put a little bit more risk you know on the field this week because i know that there's going to be a little bit more upside opportunity for that particular player and so we put comparison tools right in the ESPN fantasy football app so that people can make those comparisons compare two three or four players and make the best choice based on who am I playing this week? Do I need to stretch a little bit? Do I te- need to take a little bit more risk? Or can I play a little bit more conservative because maybe I'm playing the last, you know, the last place player in, in my particular league?
0: Uh, I'll let you go with this. Um, you know, I, I think people see the games and it's put out there, and there's a lot of different offerings from a lot of different places, but we don't think a lot about this back end part of it. Is this a really competitive space among companies to try to provide the best, most accurate data?
4: Well, I think it's, you know, everybody's looking for the secret sauce. You know, everybody's looking for that special tool, that special piece of insights that's going to give them the competitive It's You know, it's no different in sports than it is in every, everyday life, whether it's uh, your kids' uh, local, you know, basketball, football game or, you know, in business. So, yeah, I think each platform is looking for what's going to differentiate it, what's going to, you know, what's going to actually cause people to pay for those insights. How are we going to monetize those insights? That's not so much IBM's business, but we hope. Uh, that by providing these kinds of capabilities, it gives folks like ESPN, you know, a competitive advantage in the marketplace.
0: Noah Sykins, the vice president of sports and entertainment partnerships with IBM. Thank you, Noah.
4: Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it.
0: Up next, the cost of doing business on the secondary ticket market. That's the bullseye for a new player trying to help you get into an arena cheaper. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and in-game fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. Here is a sports admission that will age me. Many times I scalped tickets. So for those of you under 30, you might not even know what I'm talking about as the secondary ticket marketplace eliminated that once, yes, illegal and uncomfortable negotiation to get into a game last minute. But now we're looking at the ticket marketplace 2.0 and Brett Goldberg is the CEO and co-founder of TickPick, which is a challenger to mainstays, SeatGeek and StubHub, and is doing it without those pesky fees. Hey, Brett, how are you?
3: Doing great. Thanks for that incredible intro. Um,
0: This is a really crowded space. How did you guys see yourselves differentiating yourselves?
3: I think from the outside, it looks really crowded. You you can go Google Tickets, and you'll see Google will just fill up with results. When we looked into this and started in 2011, we'd already been talking about it for four years. The glaring issue was that, The industry as a whole has a a pretty negative sentiment. And one of the pieces that's probably hated the most is fees. And so we said we can come in and be the good guy and try to be transparent in what's not such a transparent industry and undercut the competition. So for us, it was pretty clear if we could sell tickets cheaper, there's all these other technology and features and things that we want to do. But at the end of the day, as long as we could sell tickets at cheaper prices by just running a more efficient business – that's a business model in itself.
0: Well, you're trying to make money, so how do you do it without taking fees from the customer?
3: So, we're taking a 10 to 15% commission from the seller. So, you know, from the consumer perspective, you know, we advertise no hidden fees and that's true. The price you see is the price you pay, and then part of that sale, you know, there's a commission taken from the seller unlike all of our competitors who are doing both that commission side from the seller and then adding on somewhere between 10 and 20% in, I think what's fair to call it, hidden fees.
0: Um, what is your relationship to the leagues themselves, who, if I'm correct, do take a cut of sales of some of those other major players?
3: It's a good question. Every league's different. Uh, you know, Stubbub and MLB have a public deal. I think that's what puts StubHub on the map. Or take around 08, and so there's a pretty deep integration there. They renewed that the last several years. Uh, The NFL, NBA, NHL has a deal with Ticketmaster, and so they power their ticket exchange. Uh, So there's typically, you know, each league is only going to have kind of one exchange or marketplace that will be their official partner. And then things have been changing a bit more and that things are becoming a a bit more open. SeatGeek and their primary is trying to take their primary partners and then openly distribute that to all marketplaces. Uh, Ticketmaster is starting to try to do some of that as well with the NFL. Uh, so we don't have any direct relationships yet, uh, or official partnerships, but those conversations are being
0: had. Is that problematic? I guess my question is, and this just comes from a place of curiosity, do you need to have that relationship with them? Is there any way they can limit you reselling tickets to games if you don't have a specific relationship with them?
3: It's a really good question. There hasn't, from a, from a legal perspective, there really hasn't anything that that's gone to federal court where there's case law case study on the ability to restrict ticket sales. And so that's been kind of one of the arguments over the last 15 years is, is the, the person, whoever buys a ticket, whether it's a fan or a ticket broker, is it their property now? And can they do whatever they want with that ticket? Or is it a license to a seat for that short-term period for that game? Uh, and so there's no court ruling on that right now. Uh So it's unclear if they can really, you know, restrict that. There is the ability, and it's up to kind of the, it depends, state by state has different laws. The state of New York restricted is something that's called a transferable ticket or not. Most tickets are transferable. If I buy a PDF, I can then give it to you as a gift. Things have moved to mobile, mobile tickets. If I buy a mobile ticket, I still have the ability to transfer that to you. Uh, there are what's called non-transferable tickets, which is pretty uncommon, but that's then selling the you know, the ticket purchaser that only you are the ones allowed to redeem this. The way they've done that in the past is it gets tied to your credit card and you have to show the credit card when you get to the venue. Uh, and so the state of New York actually restricted the ability to do only non-transferable ticket that was kind of thought of as not consumer friendly. And so you you do have kind of this push and pull of you want what's best for the fan, but it's hard to know what's best for the fan sometimes because, you know, it's not fair if I'm trying to buy tickets for my kids and then I really have no way of actually giving them those tickets. Or if you have a legitimate problem and you can't go and it's non-transferable and you can't sell that, you know, this isn't a regulated industry like the airline industry. So the airlines obviously it's very clear you're, you're buying a ticket to an airplane, which is a regulated industry, and you can't just go resell that seat if you want to.
0: Um, I want to get to another side of this, which is we here have had a lot of discussion with all sorts of industry leaders in a variety of spaces that all say the same thing, which is everyone's trying to figure out how to get people to go to the games again with attendance dropping. And it is clearly your business model that people want tickets and want to go to games and want to purchase them. Um, How does your business try to help make that attractive again?
3: For us, the key to that is making it easy to buy tickets. It's trying to create a cost-efficient model, so saving consumers, you know, fan, you know saving fans money when they go to, you know, to events. Um, you know, in the scheme of things, if you're buying, you know, family four and you're going to a baseball game and maybe it's twenty dollars each, uh, you're looking at eighty dollar purchase. You know, on our competitors, that could be a hundred bucks. So, you know, that twenty-five percent in that case, or Yeah, that can be a pretty large sum. So it's price, one, the user experience, making it really simple and easy. So whether you're using our app or using our web, you're going to be able to get to that checkout without having to do a sign-in, without having to go through this kind of user flow. That's a pretty painful user experience. Uh, And and then it's also just kind of that ease of last-minute, being able to see what prices are, seeing what's available, getting the best delivery possible. So if in-app, delivery is available um you know I've, I've gone to nets knicks Mets games where i've been outside the stadium and i'm buying the tickets right there and then i'm getting tickets instantaneously delivered to my phone that's an incredible user experience the the more streamlined the more simplified that is for the fan the easier it is to go uh, you know some of the transfer and i understand why venues uh want to do this and, and kind of control how that fan is getting into the stadium the more hoops you put them through, uh, you know, the less likelihood the next time you go out, you go, you know what, instead of going to that game, I'd rather really just go to a movie. Or, or I'm just going to stay home and watch Netflix. So uh, it's making it easy for the fan and, and as affordable as possible. And then I think this this isn't on Tik specifically, but as a whole, you know, I'm 34. I think one of the things that you've started to see in venues is creating more social spaces in the venues. And I absolutely love that. The last time I went to a Knicks game with a group of friends, I think we watched probably half the game. Now, granted, it's Knicks and not that great. But, um, you know, if there are areas, which they do have now in MSG, the renovation, where you can stand and you can watch and be social, you're starting to see a lot of that in venues now.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of that, and which, which leads me to this. Do you see a future where fans could buy a game day experiential package from you that's offered on the secondary market?
3: Explain further.
0: So, you're selling a seat to the game. Do you think teams are going to try to reach out to fans to make it more attractive by offering types of experiential packages by coming to the game, whether that be in the venue and outside of it, and whether that's a future for you all as well?
3: I absolutely love that. I mean, for, you know, I'm a little biased being here in Manhattan right next to MSG. So, I would happily go to a bar inside. MSG to watch the game so maybe I'm not actually sitting in a seat but I'm at a bar and I could hear the energy and be part of that uh, That that's a, a no-brainer to me so I, I love the concept of that so I, I do think that's going to be happening you're starting to see some of that on the larger events that have tons of demand you'll see for you know, baseball playoffs they start selling standing room only seats I know uh, the Yankees and Mets do this uh, I'm trying to think if the Dodgers have done it but I know the Yankees and Mets have done that you see that at some football games, the Cowboys have done standing room only seats. So there's also been a movement there. That's for really high demand events where it makes sense. Those pieces are always going to be um, easier than the majority of events, which are not the sellouts. You know, your standard average baseball game not selling out. How do you continue to fill those seats? That's the answer that I think everyone's trying to figure out. That's very difficult. Football, eight games a year, it's it's significantly easier, even for – you know, majority of basketball teams, you know, with 41 home games, it's difficult to fill, fill the stadium or uh, venue every, every game.
0: Uh, I'm going like, to ask you this just because I think you, you probably know the answer to it because you're, you're watching the marketplace. Um, are fans going to more games or less games than they used to?
3: And there's lots of news around MLB over the years. I think the way they've had to report on attendance has changed. And so I don't want to say it's being manipulated, but I think it could be misconstrued at times. And it's a bit, you know, I don't focus my attention on that per se, but I know the way they've uh, reported on ticket attendance or attendance has changed. And so that has had an impact on what they report on. Uh, but I do think it's fair to say that MLB attendance as a whole has has decreased. Uh, and you're starting to see that spread to a few other uh Categories, You know, from a marketplace perspective, it, it's hard because I'm in this kind of startup growing bubble where we grow or have grown by 50, 60, 80 percent over the years. Uh, so our world continues to grow uh, some of the leagues as a whole. Decline. Some of that is also concentrated in specific teams. So you have maybe five really bad performing teams, which drags down the whole MLB as a whole. Uh, so I think you just got to be careful in some of the headlines there.
0: Brett Goldberg is the CEO and co-founder of TickPick.
3: Thank you, Brett. Thanks for having me. That
0: will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.